Hello, and welcome to the Area 831 podcast. I'm your host, Michael Gaither. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Emily Stansel. Before we get into today's episode, please take a moment to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find us at Area 831 Podcast. That's where you'll be able to check out some of the behind-the-scenes content, as well as find out when our next episode will be dropping. It's also where we can see your feedback about the show. Tell us what you think. Let us know if there's someone you think we should be talking to. Okay, everybody listening, who can recognize this sound? 33. 33. That is the sound of Gail's Bakery on pretty much any time of the day during the week or afternoon or morning. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Joseph and Gail Ortiz of Gail's Bakery, a landmark bakery in Santa Cruz County for over 45 years. That's right. It is definitely a landmark. And as we're heading into summer, I can see Capitola filling up already. And we know everybody's favorite place to be is at Gail's morning, afternoon or night. Well, good morning, Gail and Joe Ortiz. It's uh, Do you go by Joe or Joseph? Joe. So, Gail and Joe Ortiz, welcome to our podcast, the Area 831 podcast, episode three. We are very, very excited to have you here because I think, I know I'm a fan, as is probably anybody in Santa Cruz County is probably a fan of Gail's Bakery. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. We're, we're excited to get to know you both a little bit better and talk about Gail's. Yeah. Okay. Our favorite topic. Exactly. Yeah. Let's go way back. How did you two first meet? Because you weren't native to Santa Cruz, correct? Or were you? No, we're not native at all. Although I went to college there and Gail grew up there. That's where we met. But maybe Gail wants to take this one. We're we're from San Jose. Actually, I'm from San Jose. Joe went to Mm -hmm. college there. Um, The gal that I grew up with next door, my next door neighbor dated Joe. And uh, I had I was married and I had just divorced and she moved in with her then current boyfriend and one night one day she saw joe on the campus of san jose state where they had gone to school and she invited him home for dinner at to our house and he never left <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> great i love that story and i think no, that was 1970 no that was 1970 okay wow. no dummy yeah yeah uh, just, i saw a good thing and i uh and it it worked out 50 years now uh, in June, wow. we're going to celebrate our 50th anniversary. Gail's taking me to Tennessee. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. That's Thank huge. You. What's nice. happening in Tennessee? Summer camp. Summer art camp. How oh, how fun. Yeah, I've been going for several years, and I've wanted Joe to see it. And um, it's called Shake Rag. It's in Suwanee, which is just outside of the University of the South campus. It's, an, it's a boarding school that's closed during the summers, and they take it over. And there's different art uh classes that happened so uh joe's taking a a poetry and uh art class that combines poetry and art and i'm taking a jewelry class so we're going to camp for our anniversary how fun how fun Mm -hmm. and we were talking we were talking before the recording about all these things you do besides gail's bakery and i think art and writing is probably in there too yeah Yeah, going back to going back so gail if i have my if i have my um math right gail's has been open about 35 years 45. 45. Okay. It was an older article I read. Um, and what led to Gail's Bakery originally, initially? I baked as a child. Um, lots of disasters. My mom didn't like to cook. She liked to do everything else. She was, she was uh, like crafts. She liked gardening. She 
but she hated to cook and I wanted to cook and, and bake from an early age. Mm -hmm. So I started baking um, here and there, had a lot of miserable failures. Uh, fast forward to Joe and I first married, living in Santa Cruz. Uh, Joe, what we were commuting up to San Francisco, I to the Crows, to the um, uh, Cliff House as a waitress during the weekends. And Joe would, we would sort of cross on Highway 1 and he would uh, go up to be a house painter in San Francisco. And he got a chance to bid a cooking school, Jack Lario's cooking school. And um, the guy, Jack Lario, said, would you like to um, trade some classes, cooking classes for uh, this paint job? And Joe said, well, maybe. So he brought home all the uh, oh. outlines for all the classes. And one of them was a French pastry class. And he never got that job. But I ended up taking a French pastry class and then took another you know, eight weeks. I would go up there every Thursday morning for eight weeks and then another eight week. And then I just started baking out of our house I learned how to make croissants from a gal in Berkeley, started selling them out of my, the house. We lived, you know, by then we were living on Cayuga Street. I was working at the Crow's Nest and I would bake in the morning and deliver my baked goods and then go to my day job at the Crow's Nest and then come home and prep for the next day. And it just went on like that for a number of years. And then finally I made enough money to open the bakery and um, my dad who was in the restaurant equipment business said you know you can't just have pastries you have to have bread too people won't come to just a pastry shop you gotta have bread and I said I don't want to make bread and he said well somebody's <laughs> got to make bread and both of us looked over at Joe and uh, <laughs> so I gave Joe who was still hanging around at the time apparently yeah, he, he, was. he was a musician a house painter a writer he was not a baker uh, I gave him a 30 pound mixer a 100 pound back of a bag of bread flour, uh, yeast, and a very cursory baguette recipe, and the rest is history. Master Baker. <laughs> nice. That's great. It turned out, yeah, it turned out for uh, or for me that uh, the consistency of spackle uh, was very similar to the consistency of bread dough. <laughs> So That's it was hilarious. an easy transition for me. I was able to, it, it was all about elasticity. You know what I mean? So I, I took to it. I think Gail's father realized that I was a craftsperson and that I love to make stuff. So, and yeah, you know, fortunately, Gail, yeah, Gail was that same way too. She, she loved the making of things. And I think that's what got us our start because we were just crazed about it. So I'm curious about the painting of houses in San Francisco. Were you involved in all of those intricate, you know, Victorian style houses with, with the crazy colors or was it just more, you know, standard house painting? It was both. Uh, whenever we got, you know, we felt we got lucky when we got a Victorian because it was kind of the art side of the project. But a lot of the, the day to day was, uh, you know, painting rooms in uh, Navajo white. But uh, yeah, the the we loved, they were gigs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You needed that, and that was the day job that kept us going. And uh, so we both actually we both did it together for a while, and uh, that was almost led to a little breakup. But it it cemented our relationship, and uh, soon after that we we moved to Santa Cruz, and uh, uh, thought about opening the bakery. Oh. How did you um, land the Capitola as the destination for the bakery? And what was in that spot 
before it was Gales? Do you remember? Was it, did you build it from the ground up? Yes, we did. It was a real estate office. Um, you know, my family vacationed in Capitola, so I always had a soft spot for Capitola. But basically, it was when we were ready to open, it was the site that looked right based on what we knew to be a good spot for a business. And that is on a corner close to the freeway, lots of parking. Well, it was lots of parking back then. It's not so much so now, but um, so it had all the bones, but it just didn't, it wasn't set up for commercial baking. So there was a lot of work. Joe did a lot of work to take the acoustic tiles off the ceiling, pull up the linoleum flooring. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, we had to go ground up top down to remodel it into an actual working bakery. And still to this day, it's not really a building that was built for that purpose. But over the 45 years, we've slowly kind of, structured restructured it into a commercial bakery yeah i think i read that you you took out you ended up taking over slowly right a bunch of neighboring businesses to make it into the the compound that it is now yeah yeah you know we learned in in europe that uh european bakeries were uh departmentalized uh usually in america you would see a bakery that's one big room and they do all the baking but in europe there's a pastry room there's a chocolate room there's a bread room and so we kind of use that to our advantage because our our building was uh broken up and we still we still have that uh departmentalization today and it really helps to keep the insanity in separate areas kind of contained i think the phrase you used when it was growing like an amoeba because you took over one building and another but it but it works it looks it it, it it looks really nice when you walk in and it seems to make sense what yeah. you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg when you're down there look me up and i'll give you the tour and you'll see the insanity behind the scenes and oh we would love to that'd be well, great. the people Deal. that work for us it's just amazing. I'm in there a lot now and I'm working with those guys and they produce so much food that it's mind blowing to me. And I, and I know what it's all about, but we pump out the stuff and these people really know how to do things in volume and they know how to keep the quality up. I think I read something about 50,000 eggs per month, or maybe that was even 10 years ago. Some, it some was. I think yeah, like we're that. up to 60,000. We're up to, I think two tons of butter and Wow. A ton, more than a ton of uh, chocolate and I don't know how many eggs. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah. do you, do you um, ever have, you know, the fear of wherever you source your eggs from I, running out? I was going to ask about that tangent. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was just um, a shortage on eggs recently, I think. So how does that, how does that affect you in terms of, you know, what, what you can produce? It absolutely. Um, it's always been this way. You know, there's always been spikes in supply chains, not so much, but spikes in prices and spikes in whatever, you know, avian flu or things, you know, after 45 years, you get used to that. But the supply chain during COVID, uh, you know, re has really made a huge difference. And you have to be on your toes and figure out an alternate product. Mm. Um, for us, we were always able to get eggs, but it was the price was just, you know, the price of everything has just gone up so much that, um, it's hard to charge. I mean, we we charge a lot for our product, but it, it's because labor needs to go up because Santa Cruz County housing is so expensive and everything has gone up so, so much for us that we, can, we, we can't really catch up. I mean, we couldn't charge what we need to charge from way back, you know, the 
our food cost used to be a certain percentage and meat labor was a certain percentage. And now all that's out the window, everything, all of our percentages are way up because we just can't, we cannot charge what we have to, to, um, to recoup it. So we just have to, uh, Joe says we have to break even at a lower and lower rate. That's awesome. <laughs> That's math. That's math that even I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. And how let's let's talk about that. So what was 2020 like for you? How did you make it through that? Because some places most places did, but a lot of places didn't. Yeah. Mm. We closed for six weeks. Mm. Um, we closed in March, opened in May. Mm-hmm. And finally, one morning I woke up and said, we got to reopen, guys. We got to figure out a way. So we got our management. We we got a PPP loan to keep our Good. management team and some of our real core employees employed, which was brilliant. And so we got our management team together. I remember we were in the cafe and we all took a chair and we went to opposite corners of the room because that was still, we still thought that, you know, proximity, well, it is proximity was, you know, a big deal. And we just developed this uh, sort of cafeteria style because we wanted, not only do we want to keep the customers safe, but we want to keep the employees safe. Because Mm -hmm. if you go into the back of Gales, you'll see the employees are back of the counter, just close to one another, going back and forth all the time. And we wanted them to be separate. So we had customers come into one door by the deli. And one person was there at the steam tables, the hot tables. And then the next person was at the sandwich salad sta- station. And we would just pass the, the customer on to the, the, the next salesperson <laughs> until towards the end, they would be rung out and then they would go out another door. And we were only allowing nine customers in a, at a time. Mm-hmm. So that morphed slowly. Um, we, we, t- we did a back door. We took out the back cafe. We put in a back door <clears throat> uh, sales window so I people could that. come up. People who were really immunocompromised or did, didn't feel comfortable coming into a building at all could come up to the outside of the building and pick up their orders. And, and that, didn't have to go inside at all. Yeah, um, and we just eliminated that a couple months ago. That that went on for quite a while. So we just have this outrageous management team that's led by our business partner, Louisa Beers, who is uh, the operating manager of the business. So she she and her team and with us have just morphed the whole thing. We stopped taking cash. Uh, we went uh, on handheld, which made our the weight lots less. Right. Um, some people don't like the fact that we don't take cash, but boy, it's a cleaner operation. It's a mm-hmm. faster operation. And, um, you know, we don't have as much theft as we used to. It's just so, for so many good reasons. So things like that. Um, we don't weigh our product anymore. We, we used to weigh out every little thing. Like if you got mac and cheese, um, if it was in a container, we would weigh it. But now we sort of fill it to the very brim and charge. You just it price people. it. Yeah. So it's so it's um, we morphed a lot of things, some of which we kept and most of which we kept. And it sounds like yeah. some some of the things that you implemented actually ended up being better for your business model. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it, it was it. We got an online ordering system that we could never slow down enough from day to day operations to implement. But during that eight weeks we were off or whatever, we could we had all the time in the world to research the right company. We implemented that. We bought these handhelds. It was you know it's just made a huge yeah yeah. COVID in a lot of ways was was uh, monumental for our business. Yeah, I I always say too. There's there were. As, as horrendous as that time was, and it's only three years ago, but it seems like it's longer. It seems like it was yesterday, depending on what you're thinking about or recollecting about. But 
there were some little silver linings that came out of people had to be creative to like keep doing what they needed to do. And you had a very creative management team, obviously, and things that you're still doing now came out of that really weird time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we, we, uh, we gave up what I call some of the amenities, the things that took us a lot of energy and we weren't necessarily making money on, but what made uh, customers happy, like wedding cakes took a lot of energy and they were expensive, but still it was like, we might have three or four on the weekend and that would take a lot of time and a lot of space. And then we gave up what we called casual catering, which was doing catering trays, which on, on some weekends was overwhelming. And then some days it was non-existent. So because of that, we were able to become a little bit more efficient and we, we definitely learned a lot. And you know what? The funny thing is, is that we, before COVID, we were really quote unquote, I think, experts at takeout, but we had mm -hmm. to kind of refashion our takeout and delivery because of the backdoor necessity. And right. that gave us some insights into how to get the product to people. So you've mentioned um, your core management team um, and Louisa, and I, I want to come back to Louisa because I, I believe she co-authored a book with you, Gail. Um, but probably the one part of your team that I don't think many people talk about is the ticket machine. So <laughs> I, I want to know how how many generations of ticket machines have you guys had over the years and and why why the ticket machine? What brought it about? This is great. Well, it got brought about because of the insanity of people standing around and the idea of somebody having to say who's next. And it was the only way I think at the beginning we could really make it work. What do you think, Gail? Yeah, I think it allowed for people to be able to go in and know that they were going to be taken care of and not have to always be looking at a staff person to make sure they were, you know, next or looking at the next, oh, you're right. next to them, yeah. right? So it gave them a chance to look at the product, which is what we want them to look at, because the more they look at the product, the more they will buy. And so we, it was one of the best things we ever did. Um, and uh, to answer your question, I think we are on we are still on the first generation. Wow. I, I swear. Now you bought a good machine. Out, you bought a good machine. This well. is this is this is tempting fate, right? Because now that we've brought it up, it's going to break, right? Um, <laughs> I hope but, not. Yeah, but it's uh, it is like one of those old fashioned workhorses. Yeah, they don't like things that to last. No. It just keeps pumping them out. I mean, it could have been from the fifty. It looks like it's from the fifty. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Well, what a one of my jobs now is I go through and I pick up little pieces of paper and napkins <laughs> and I clean the floor. It's easier sometimes to clean it than it is to get somebody in with the mop. So, but my new thing is picking up old expired tickets. And I just had a brainstorm the other day. I'm going to save them and go through and start selling them to people. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I mean, there's a there's a market for everything. <laughs> and a subculture. I've, seen, for I've seen people kind of pass their ticket off to somebody else, or you know, it, it, and during the holidays, it's not uncommon to call out 45 and two people answer. They keep they keep their tickets and they they bring out the lower one from the previous visit to Gail's. So. Right, All right. right. <laughs> That's a good idea. I never thought yeah, of it. Yeah, Go ahead, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. All right, there could be a, a, a bit of a black market too, where, <laughs> you know, I've been, you know, I've been to your, your bakery during the holidays and, you know, I show up and, you know, I, I 
clock, get my ticket. And I'm like, number 57. And I hear the person at the mic saying 12. And I'm like, oh my God, you know? And so I, it's crossed my mind. Like I will pay number 13, 50 bucks if I can take their number. <laughs> like let's just swap places. <laughs> but I have to say, you know, it, it seems like it moves quick. It just seems like yeah, there, it's such it a streamlined process, especially with the amount of employees you have behind the counter and yeah. just the way that everybody who comes in as a customer seems to know how to use it, you know, how to use the ticket machine, how to approach anyone at the counter. It just, it's, it's great. It's, I've never felt like I had to wait for too long and it gives me enough time to do what you just said is kind of the point is have people look at what's in the cases and it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's always an enjoyable experience in there, even, even if you're waiting for a few minutes, because it's just, there's such a good energy and it's obviously so fun to look at all of the things in the cases. Yeah. Yeah. we're having fun with this. This I think it's a the machine is it's a simple, elegant, old school solution. And I think Gail, you said it best. People grab a ticket, they know they're going to be taken care of. It isn't like when you walk into a bar, if you walk into a bar, and you're trying to make eye contact with the bartender right. so you can get a beverage. You have to like it's 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 a little. There's some anxiety there. Mm-hmm. You walk in, get a ticket, and you look at all the cool stuff at Gail's while you're waiting your turn. Or talk to yeah. your friend that you see, or you know, get, yeah. have a table, or you know, just do what you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, it just leaves all that stress and anxiety about. I hope I get waited on. I want to get a you know a sandwich or whatever you know. I think smart businesses are doing this in a lot of different ways. Like you know, mm-hmm. there's a, a couple of places we've been. Maybe it was New York City where they take your cell phone number and they text you when your table's ready. Yeah, food trucks do that a lot. Go outside because yeah. they don't have room in the New York restaurants, right? You can go outside. You right. can next door shop a little bit or walk down the street or do whatever. They text you. You're back there. It's yeah. smart. It is. It's really convenient. And you don't have the and you don't have the big going back to twenty two. You don't have the big crowds of people that they're like huddled over the case, right? So it's safer too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we also still, you know, we the other thing we did was we had a a line out the door uh, around the side of the building during COVID because we Mm -hmm. only allowed certain amount of people in. So we put our music system out there. We put our uh, speaker system out there so that when we call a number, so it's walking from, you know, our, we have the bread department. We can talk about this, but our bread department is in another building around the corner. And I was mm-hmm. walking back from the bread shop the other day and I heard numbers being called and I thought, gee, I wonder, should we be broadcasting numbers anymore out? You know, there's enough noise pollution in the world. Should we be doing right. this? But I think people really like the fact that they can wait outside if they want to. They have sure. a screaming baby, they have a dog out there or their mom's in the car because she's disabled. They can be out there in the parking lot and hear their number and run in. So it's good. It keeps everybody comfortable and taken care of. You know? right. And I went I went to, to contrast, I was at, I did an event at the the big highfalutin shopping center over the hill uh, a few weeks ago. And I, when I was done, I went to get a sandwich in the bakery and there were two lines and it really wasn't clear what line was for what. You had to go to one line and pay and then go back and then and it, once i figured it out and someone told me for the but it just get, that used to be the way at gales too i mean when yeah. you, you had to wait twice you had to wait right. to get right. waited on and then if you if it was crowded you had to wait again to pay so yeah. th- it's so much better this way because you just, just hang out and wait and one person takes care of you it's and more efficient for want, everybody they'll take your stuff out to the car so nice so nice. I have a question. You you said that you mastered how to make croissants uh, back in the day. What is Gail's most um, most sold treat? I guess, or what 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 <laughs> would you say is your most popular item? Is it a croissant or 
or has it morphed into something else at this point? What, what do people yeah. flock to? I think probably cookies are the thing that we sell the most of. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I think it's pretty across the board as far as breakfast pastries. Um, I think the, the big cake is uh, the princess cake, the domed princess cake that we make. That's a real famous one. People love that. People love our franchise, which is the long French, Italian French loaf, and Joe's sourdough loaf, which is really beloved, Capitola sour. Um, I think there's certain things, though, that are just stalwarts in there. You know, they're, it's pretty straight across the board. We sell pretty much the same same amount. Mm -hmm. Those are the favorites that I could think of. You know, I just had a big breakfast and I'm so hungry now. <laughs> That's how I'm, making, I'm making a field trip later. That's how we decide. Okay, if you're taking a field trip now, you have to have the what we call the everything croissant, which is like a, it's you know the everything bagel where they put yeah. sure. seeds and garlic and all that stuff on it, and um, so it's the everything croissant with our tuna that is a really good tuna salad with a little bit of red onion in it, and then paper paper thin slices of lemon put into it, mm. and it's mm. so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Mm -hmm. Wow. I had a, well, I had a back... follow up question, but now I'm just salivating. So I don't know, <laughs> yeah. but I wrote that down. I just wrote that down. Hey, going back to the cookie idea. I was in there uh, working with them uh, last week and uh, I see the guys in the back there. They're mounding this cookie dough, chocolate chip cookie dough on four uh, 18 by 24 sheet pans. And it's stacked about two feet high on each one. And wow. I, and I go to them and I go, oh. Hey guys, uh, how often do you make that? And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, maybe like twice a week. And they look, they all look at me and they go, this is how much we make every day. Oh my gosh. It was incredible. <laughs> the chocolate chip cookies, I think because of the price point and the individual nature of them, I think is one of our, our biggest sellers. Yeah. Wow. It is. I mean, yeah, we, it's still the old chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, yeah. I saw some of those um, in the office yesterday. We we got we had a, an outside sales rep come and bring us lunch and he grabbed a whole box of pastries. And um, my personal favorite is the strawberry scone. Yeah. Strawberry so shortbread. Good. Yeah. The strawberry shortbread cookie. Yes. I love I it. The dark chocolate uh, coconut macaroon is uh, oh, that's it's a star in my. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that and a hot cup of coffee. There is like nothing mm. better in my <laughs> mind <laughs> yeah all right all right we got cookies too listen you know we we are fortunate now that we have uh three people in the business that are doing developmental things and gail and i were in prague last may and we tasted this hazelnut cookie and we we both went nuts over it <laughs> so we brought some home we took pictures of it and we started doing experiments. Nothing would happen. We were just flailing around. And then finally, somebody, Teal and Louisa, part of our creative team, kind of came up with something that was very close. And we've been trying to work on a quote unquote crispy cookie line for probably 20 years. And wow. I think this might be the first, uh, the first in the line, hopefully, of many crispy cookies um it's less wow. dough but the crispy nature of it is something that is so intoxicating we we yeah. see it all over but for some reason we haven't known the secret to making it so it's uh it's been a lot of fun to try to replicate that That's it's like so the uh, the brownie brittle that people 
love. Like it's like just I don't I'm sure it's not they're not shaving off the top of a brownie <laughs> to make this stuff, but it's like a paper thin, crispy, lighter than air oh, bite of a brownie. Yeah. And it's amazing. And those oh, last about two hours in my house when they come home. Oh, I've never had that. I want to go find some. That sounds awesome. very I mean, uh, for you too, this is kind of beneath you, but Costco brownie brittle, they sell it in like a two pound bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Right. Uh, we got to right. look that up. Just yeah. right. anything with the name brittle, right? Yes, yep. it's enticing. Yep. And you can so, reverse engineer it and make a better one. Yep. So um, <laughs> I think I read that you travel at least once a year to Europe. And is that purely for, um, you know, doing research on on new things to bring to Gales or also a little bit of fun, I imagine, to go explore and, and do that kind of thing? Purely business. We slither around on our tummies. <laughs> oh, we we get in a few museums too and cathedrals but a lot of time we spend in bakeries because you know we used to do it for studying but then now in the latter years we do it just because we're addicted to bakeries and we're addicted to to uh, learning about food where's so, your favorite part? place what's that where, where's your favorite what's i guess do you go back to the same countries or do you have do you go somewhere different every year? And, and if you do go back, where's your favorite place to go? And then and then maybe you could even share your favorite bakery with us too. Gail. <laughs> well, well, I, I will share a very inspiring bakery. And I actually think they, I know they have some in the United States too. Uh, New York City's got a couple, I think. It's called Princi, P-R-I-N-C-I. And it uh, in Milan, they uh, have a Princi bakery that's really, really fun. We love to go there. Um, the, of course, the Paris bakeries, you know, there are, there's one on every corner and two in the middle of the block and many of them are good. And some are really, really good. Um, you just have to kind of, you know, uh, try them to see, but, um, my recent, uh, food passion is Japan because they are so good at mimicking other cultures, food. They just they nail it and they it's even better than sometimes you can get in the actual country so i come back from japan with just tons of great ideas for for deli food and bakery food um a couple of which we're trying kyoto had this really wonderful uh croissant dough that was chopped up with dried banana uh, uh, uh you know the banana chips and walnuts in it uh it was so good. It was, and it was put together with a, like a cinnamon sugar. So it stuck together. So That's we're trying awesome. to develop that. And uh, so for me, Japan is my recent, but Joe and I did a Danube cruise last year at this time and all the, you know, along the Danube, all of the um, Austrian, German, they're all wonderful. Um, Denmark is unbelievable for its mm -hmm. goods. We've gotten a lot of great recipes in Denmark. Yes, the Lagahuset, right? That's their that's their chain bakery that they have, I think. What's it called? The Lagahuset. I don't think we ever saw that. There, we there's a, a chain of no. them. Um, they've got them in Copenhagen, but they've got. I think I, I I might be pronouncing it wrong. It's been so long since I was there, but they make a a snile, which is like a basically like a cinnamon roll, you know. Yeah. Yes, their pastries are fantastic there. Oh, good. Oh, Copenhagen is. We went on we, a couple few years back. Um, we hired a gal who had one of those pedicabs, and we said, uh, "Just take us to every bakery." She had a food. Uh, she did a food tour, 
And um, so we said, we want to only go to the bakeries. We want to only be by ourselves. And so for four or five hours, she wheeled us around Copenhagen and just took us to one bakery after another. It was just oh, so much fun. That sounds so fun. You guys to inhale pastries and didn't have to even walk. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> not you know, a good thing. No, you no. walk in between. Yeah. You know, we talked, going back to Emily's question, we, we talked about your most popular items. What's your most, is there a busiest time of year for you? <laughs> Yeah. You're pretty busy all year long, I'm I'm sure it sounds like. But yeah. Uh Christmas is like a uh it's a week and a half long affair. I was gonna I was gonna assume it was the holidays. Yeah. Well, because because Christmas people throw parties, you know. Yeah, Thanksgiving, right. the two days before Thanksgiving are just gangbusters, but it's it's pretty much localized to those two or three days. Yeah. And then we live we live for every every uh holiday uh then we think about valentine's day and then mother's day you know easter mother's oh, day, father's right. day the fourth of july right we so, do a lot of jewish holidays because we have a we're very have good ties with the jewish temple that's um near mm -hmm. us so we do a lot of jewish uh meals for hanukkah and passover and you know so we we there is really not a holiday we don't celebrate we celebrate yeah. everything in some way or other but summertime starting now pretty much summertime you know there the influx of people with beach houses and rental houses and all that the summer's a, a sort of a prolonged uh love fest at gales too so pretty much yeah and you're close to the beach and close to right. a, a big i mean the whole the whole county's touristy but like capitola is sort of a mecca for that kind of that kind of traffic. Right. And a lot of people coming from the Bay Area come over Highway 17 and they go right by the bakery in order to get to their houses in Pajaro, Dune, mm -hmm. some of their rental houses down there. There's a lot of rental units down in Rockville, right. Pajaro area. Mm -hmm. So they stop off on Friday afternoon, Thursday. Like today, Thursday, I saw this gal. She coming into town. She had nine um, uh, orange chiffon cakes. She had nine. I said, wow, oh, oh, nine <laughs> cakes. Goes, well, you know, she was going to her beach house, you know. So put, put her picture on the wall. <laughs> Go out and hug her. And that tech right. machine is still hanging in there after <laughs> holiday. You know, after holiday. I, you know what I saw the other day outside the front door, a guy, he had two bags, two Gales bags, one in each hand. And he was checking out his uh, tag from his bill. And it was about two feet long. Wow. And I was tempted to go up to him and say, Everything is so expensive these days. Everything <laughs> costs so much money, but I didn't do it. Yeah, I just, it's frightening I, when we see what things cost at the bakery. It's scary. It was, it's horrible. We hate it. But also, I went for, I went for a fast food, quick hot dog the other day. I got a hot dog, small fries, and a small drink. Mm -hmm. It was twenty bucks. Yeah. Wow. wow. It was twenty yeah. bucks. So uh, you know, it's not just us. It's everywhere. Yeah, it is. I yeah, and our employees have yeah. to bear the brunt of paying their rent, paying for food. Yeah. So it's difficult. It comes at you from both angles. So we're trying to just get a nice balance in here. And, you know, my attitude in, in being there more after COVID, it's actually going in for me has been a therapy after COVID and I'm learning so much. But my attitude with our uh, with our manager has been, you know, our, our partner, Louisa, has been, let's keep the customer happy. Mm -hmm. That's what we have going for us, because everybody has a smile on their face and we want we want to keep them happy. And, you know, fortunately, uh, I'm uh, I'm I am fortunate in that people come up to me and tell me how 
how great things are. And then I say, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell them because I'm the cheerleader now. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Wonderful. <laughs> so uh, kind of taking a, a step back and what point in time did you decide, oh, it's time to jump into hot prepared foods or a carrot, you know, package to go uh, take out foods and, and whatnot. How did that evolution happen? It all started at the top. I think Gail got an idea one day that she said, let's start putting things together. Because I think at the beginning, correct me if I'm wrong, Gail, I think at the beginning we would have like a chicken in the hot uh, table and then potatoes in the hot table and vegetables and blah, blah, blah. And I think Gail said, let's put them all together. Let's put them all together in a little package and it's a full dinner. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, Gail. I think well, that I think they're asking how, how the deli came about. You know, we opened the bakery in 78 and uh, five year, five year, we, we would go to France every year and study. And, and then one year we sort of exhausted France about four years in and we, um, we hadn't exhausted it, but you know, we, we wanted to branch out a little bit. So we went to Italy and the, the, the bread wasn't all that great. The pastries weren't all that great. I mean, they don't focus on that so much, but what we did find were their rosticherias. And when we were traveling, we would get up early in the morning to go to a bakery or be up all night at a bakery study. And then we wouldn't want to go out to dinner at night because we had a big lunch and we want to just eat in the hotel room. So we would go to a rosticheria and get our food. And we went, why don't we have something like this in Santa Cruz? People want takeout to go food. So five years after we opened, we branched out into the old laundromat that was next to the bakery. And that's when the Rosticheria started. So we started out with just carry out. And then Joe's right, a few years later, we, you know, it just grew from there. We got the, um, we had called the to go, the Gale's own showcases that are on, on the other side where you can just grab and go, grab, grab a meal, grab a salad, grab a whatever. So as the years go by, we just keep developing different ways that people can get a meal uh, because our eating habits have changed just a little bit. I mean, back when we started the business, I think fine dining was way more popular than it is now. I think the era of fine dining has waned some and people want more casual food. Certainly during COVID, they got used to takeout. So we now do DoorDash which we didn't do before, but we um, people can call up the bakery or order online at our bake on our platform and do a 950 flat fee DoorDash delivery. Um, so I think, don't you think our eating ha habits have changed quite a bit over the last 45 years? Sure. Yep. Everything has. And I yeah. think going back to COVID too, people are used to take up more than they were before. And I like the idea of buying a meal ready to go versus picking individual items. It probably goes back to that efficiency too. You can just, I want that. There's my meal and I'm out. Right. It's, it's efficient and for you providing and for baskets where people could just put the basket over their arm and throw in a whole bunch of stuff. I saw somebody with three containers of, you know, uh, uh, deviled eggs and a couple of salads and some chicken. And I knew that was going to be like, she was having a party that night or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think also part of that probably has to do with like the work ethic I feel has changed people just, you know, I'm guilty of this myself where I say, oh, I just don't have time to make dinner at home. Right. Like I grew up, my mom was a homemaker, dinner, lunch and breakfast. Like she ran the restaurant at home. And then, you know, fast forward, I, I'm, 
I have kids and I work over the hill and, you know, my wife is working and it's like, oh, when we get off of work, the last thing we want to do is like, all right, what are we making tonight? And Mm -hmm. to your point, it's like, go in like, oh, I'll stop by Gail's. We'll see what's in the locker, you know, usually, you know, a side, a main, and we're good to go. We've got a meal and our kids have grown up kind of in this manner, right? For better or for worse. And one of my girls goes to school in Minnesota and in the Midwest, it is still kind of the old ways. Like my daughter's like, oh, what should we grab for dinner tonight? And they're like, I thought we would make something. And my daughter's (laughs) like, make something, (laughs) you know, I I was like embarrassed for her. Like, oh my God, like what have we done? (laughs) Oh, it's so true. Um, But yeah, I just feel like I know the people I work with, like everyone's just too busy, too busy. And dinner is, it's so much easier, you know, and you pay a premium for it, but it's like, you know, it's going to be delicious. You know, there's no you know, mystery, like, well, I'm going to try, sometimes we try recipes, but I feel like the the rosticherias are super smart and convenient and you get a good, wholesome quality meal out of it instead of, like you said, for maybe a little less money, you hit a drive-through somewhere. And nowadays it's crappy food for just pennies less. And you don't feel good after you eat it either. Yeah. Yeah. You really don't feel good after eating fast food, you yeah. know, and you, and you just bought a $20 hot dog, you, you know? I mean, it, I have to admit it was good. I won't tell you. I hope so for 20 bucks. Yeah. It was good. But also you can go down to Taylor's in Watsonville, one of my favorite yeah. places on earth and get a hot dog for two fifty. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, God knows where those hot dogs come from, but they sure right. that uh that place got me through high school. So <laughs> they've changed a little bit, but let's not go off on that tangent. Oh. <laughs> You've mentioned Louisa a few times. I mentioned yeah. her earlier. Let's let's circle back to to her. You she I know very little about Louisa. You know, in my research says she co-authored a book with you. You've mentioned her as being kind of like your business partner. So um tell us a little bit about her. She does. Absolutely. We, we like any opportunity to do that. Uh, she is the person who manages the business on a daily basis. She started with us as a cake decorator, cake decorator. Hmm. And she's, I think it's like, she's almost 45 years. She's probably more like 43 years or whatever, 40 years. And when we would go to Europe or go wherever, you know, she just would take over a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And one time she took over the whole business while we were gone. And when we got back, we said, why, what, you know, we can't live without her. So it was probably about 25, 30 years ago. We gave, we just gave her a percentage of the business and we upped it up her percentage a little bit and each year. And um, so now she's, uh, she's like our fairy godmother. She's the one mm. who makes it so that Joe and I can do our art projects and, um, you know, live a life in our seventies and not having to um, work so hard and and so we owe everything to her she's just wonderful and did she approach you about the book like or no no was she this... was a, she was our head bread baker she was our head bread baker pastry maker so it may, just made sense to include her in the book uh it, because we needed all the recipes tested we needed you know to mm-hmm. come up with ideas for the book so she was our head uh pastry cake manager at the time and so we just we just brought her in as as a co-author. Well, she had already been working for us for a number of years. She was, you know, she, I don't think she she wasn't a partner at the time. I, I'm pretty sure. I don't think she was a partner at the time. I 
Yeah. I can look yeah. back on the desk cover. It'll tell us, but I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, she just worked her way up organically. Hmm. She sounds mm -hmm. like a great person to have on the team. Yeah. Oh. Well, there's a couple of important things. One, she has uh, similar taste buds to the two of us. She also is a real numbers person. She's like Gail. She's a detail-oriented. It's amazing how many policies we have in the bakery. One time I walked into her uh, uh, office and I said, oh, gee, I got to call the uh, the plumber. And she goes, 2959595. She's wow. got all this stuff in her head. I keep saying if something happens to her, her both Gail and I have to go back to work. Yeah. <laughs> so we're protecting her. We're trying to protect her, but she's she does get overcommitted because it's a detail-oriented business. Yeah, and, this is a uh, hard business to run. You can imagine that, you know, we make somewhere around 100 to 150 products a day. That wow. is, that's insanity. We call it an art project. It's just, yeah. you know, you don't want to do that. If anybody's listening who's thinking about opening a business, a food business, don't do that. <laughs> it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. yeah. Lots this of puzzle pieces. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot of products a day, but what I tell people is when they say, oh, you guys are not making the brand muffins. I say, you know what? We have to rotate everything because we probably have maybe 5,000 recipes. Wow. If we, oh, there's yeah. no way we could make everything every day. No. Plus, we want to keep it fresh. And and right. we, if, we, if we take off a, a tuna sandwich, we put back a tuna sandwich, even though it's a different tuna sandwich. And it's the same thing, you know, the muffin, take off a muffin, a uh, bran muffin, and you put on a carrot muffin. Right. So it's uh, it's it's not easy, but it, I think it keeps it uh, fresh. Right. Mm -hmm. And we do have a rotation. So about, I would say, mm, a little less than a third of our products about every three or four months change. So we have our stalwarts, we have our croissants, we have our, you know, there's certain things that will, you will always find at Kale's. But but then there are things that are seasonal because the seasonal fruits or seasonal tastes or traditions. And um, so we switch out about a third of our product every three or four months. Keeps it interesting. Yeah. And you mm -hmm. said 5,000 recipes that I could. Well, that? I was exaggerating. Ish. It might've yeah. been 4,500. Well, that's, that's <laughs> pretty <laughs> darn close. <laughs> yeah. We, we've come across a lot of stuff and we're still developing new things because yeah. the idea is that's, why people got excited because we had uh, innovation. Yeah. yeah. And we get, you know, we get tired of things or we get, you know, like we've had our gratin potatoes on for years. And I've been talking to the deli manager for years about our gratin potatoes. I don't like them. She likes them. I said, finally, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to develop this gratin potato recipe that I had when I was a waitress in San Francisco. I worked with a girl, Kate, who made this, unbelievable au gratin potato recipe and i'm just going to perfect that at home and then we're going to do so yesterday we mm -hmm. after making i think i've gained like five pounds because i've been making au gratin potatoes for the last three weeks at <laughs> home. and finally it was ready for her to try it the business and we tried it and she and louisa and i sat around and we tasted all these different ways and it we nailed it so now we've got a new rustic au gratin potato recipe mm, that's great wow it takes a lot to read you know, to reinvent something because you never know how it's going to turn out and you have a, mm -hmm. have a vision. My, my biggest disappointment sometimes is I'm working on something and I'm, I'm halfway there and people love it. And I go, yeah, but wait, I have a vision of it. I want to keep going with it. Keep but, pushing you know, it. That's, that's another yeah. problem. Right. We say, stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't no stop here we like this is it you've got it this is it <laughs> well you know whether it's whether you're making music or writing books or or cooking it's art and you're never done that's just it you're never done you know mm -hmm. you're always creating mm -hmm. yeah. i read that you joe like baked bread with julia childs on pbs is that true oh yeah I was fortunate enough to be uh, right in the, the mainstream of the be bread thing uh, with my book, like back in the late 80s. And uh, they called me along with, uh, I don't know, it was about 12 or 15 of us uh, that were kind of like celebrity bread book authors or whatever. And uh, they gave us, they all gave us, uh, they gave us all a segment and we would arrive at her place uh, the day before and we would go down into the basement where her husband had his tools lined up on the walls and we would do our prep. We're filming upstairs in her house and uh, they would, you know, the, the producer would come down and, and give us the list of what we were going to do. And I wrote a whole story about transporting the Levans to, uh, to uh, Julius because I had to bring my sourdough starter mm -hmm. on the plane. And I had visions of it bubbling over in the overhead, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, it didn't do it. But, you know, they tell you if you're going to bring something, bring three of each because we want to have backups in case it doesn't work. So I had three little jars of starter <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was great. She is she is everything that everyone ever imagined of her sincere, wonderful, fun, loving person. And she really made you feel welcome and she made you feel like you were contributing to the whole food movement wow you can What's still that? see those segments on uh pbs people tell me all the time that they saw it just recently so you mm. can still see them oh that's awesome i'll have to look them up because where, where i discovered it didn't have and i thought i was on the pbs website um i didn't see a link to watch it but um i, I would imagine for you you know that would that was that like a did I make it? <laughs> Have I made it? Like if I'm baking bread with Julia Childs, I mean, she's the original like celebrity chef, really, you know, as far as being yeah. on TV and world renowned. So I, my, my mind would have been blown. Yeah, no, it was a great experience. And especially being in her, it was in her house and wow. it was in her kitchen and they had these shades, they had these shades over the window so that if, if, if the light changed, they would put these shades up so they could have the same light. And what was the other thing? Oh, in the dining room, right around the corner, there was a, a desk with the producer, the editor, and the filmer. And there were three cameras so that they could edit the segments. And they would do like four segments a week. And that's how they produced the show. Wow. And uh, at that time, they were they were absolute pros because she had been doing it a long time and they, they spared no expense. And, and then they had a party one night and I couldn't do it because I was tending my starters, but <laughs> she would have a party for the people that were involved. And just, she was, she was joyous and, and a pleasure to be around her, her, her great, uh, my, my greatest thing with her was I was able to get her to laugh, just wildly laugh by telling her, look, with bread, you have to leave it alone. So you have to do what my cousin Johnny used to say, forget about it. <laughs> she cracked up and she grabbed me like this around the neck because she's so tall. And she started rubbing my head like that. Oh, how cool is that? What a memory. Uh, wow. That's the that's my big memory. 
So uh, I guess we're at that point. What what comes next for Joe and Gail? You've kind of done everything, but I'm sure there's more to come. You know, well, it's still fine tuning. You know, yeah. we're learning that, uh, you know, now that I'm doing a lot of writing, the word revision comes in mm. and it, it's, it means re-envisioning something. Yeah. I'm doing some things that are like uh, brand new baking things. I'm working with, uh, with a, our place called Healthy Way, which is my diet center where I go to get uh, therapy about, you know, uh, eating healthier. And I'm concerned about uh, trying to provide uh, healthier meals for people. And I've been working on things that uh, that are uh, pastries and uh, other things uh, that use uh, fruit, fruit purees instead of sugar. So that's kind of where I'm going with it. And also in the back burner for me, it's always been trying to develop uh, healthier breads, breads with grains and things like that. And we're finally having time for, to do that. So that's that's working out. And with Gail, uh, she's been doing she's doing a lot of baking at home as well but our artistic side is me with the writing and with the music and gail has been doing mm -hmm. a lot of printing of fabric uh working with fabric to create garments and uh oh yeah printing on fabric it's uh surf it's called surface design on fabric so it's um it's printing a lot of different mechanisms for printing i mean I, nobody can see this but you guys can see this and so this is kind of an example of printed fabric that i print all right yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of a passion of mine. But also I've been doing a lot of um, digital art um, on Procreate. Uh, mm, yeah. On, yeah. And I so I do a lot for the bakery on that. Um, I've been trying to, uh, you know, we, we I started um, developing a new uh, a label for a new cookie line that we're doing. And Joe took off on that. We're a good partnership that way. I can get it to a certain level and then Joe takes it to the next level. And then we take it to a graphic artist for the final thing so i'm looking forward to um using my graphic arts that i've been developing a little bit more in the bakery um i just de developed a logo for the capitola wharf restoration committee that we're um, doing and i kind of played around with a logo for that and the committee liked it so they they're using my art for that which is fun okay. so um yeah I'm, I'm i'm interested in digital art a lot animation i love animation um, it's fun. You know, you got to kind of at 70, almost 74, you got to uh, can't stay on your toes, you know, <laughs> so Thank many you. creative endeavors. It sounds sounds yeah. like you've got your time filled up when you're your free time, I guess, you know, it's filled with so many fun things. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Projects, lots of projects. We were talking before this started about all my little side things, but you two are inspiring. <laughs> like you're really busy. This is wonderful. Yeah. Um, I think we're at time. I, Joe and Gail, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I'll be by for lunch. We're at early oh, dinner. Right now. Thank you. <laughs> and Joe, we would love to take you up on the tour sometime and see how the buildings are all put together. Oh, yeah. And how the labyrinth works. That'd be wonderful. So. You bet. Anytime. I always joke about the fact that I think I have a lot of side things I do, but talking to Gail and Joseph, I'm not busy enough. <laughs> they have a lot going on. They're inspiring. And I truly, seriously am very hungry after talking about food for an hour. Yes, those two are so, so busy. They were so lovely to talk to and makes me hungry. Also, also makes me want to travel. Their, their travel um, 
you know, destinations every year sound amazing. I've been wanting to go to Japan and now I really, really want to go um, after hearing Gail talk about Kyoto and all the pastries there. So fun, fun couple, those two. Yeah. And I think I want to at least travel as far as Capitol today to get some food from Gail's bakery. So that was episode three. And Emily, how can people find us and share us and subscribe to us? We are on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us at Area 831 Podcast. So stay tuned, subscribe, share, and we will talk to you next time on the Area 831 Podcast.